1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Rob Snow White here. This is episode 271 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This episode is part two with Art Noglack of Quarantine Fly Time Talk. This episode is all about streamers. You're hopefully learn everything and more you ever wanted to know about streamers. The next one is going to be warm water, fly fishing, and time with Art. And you're going to hear me next week talk about my crazy recent weekend with snakeheads. It's been a crazy spring out here in northern Virginia. It's super humid and hot today. We're expecting a fun summer. The boat ramps are finally open. Maybe we can even get in and wade and cool off since the pools are going to be closed. So this is episode 271. We're going to go talk to Art now and hope you are home, being safe, wearing a mask, social distant your fly fishing. Thanks for downloading. All right, so we have Art with us. This is the second installment of... Mostly quarantine stuck at home. And this one is going to be cold water streamers for trout. Right? Awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I want to tell people about my strange phone call. I told you about it, right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, you did. You yeah, did so this, this woman calls me up. She asks me if I can catch her some fish for her aquarium. 
I'm like, sure, why not? I said, why don't you come by? I'll just collect some with some small flies from the creek, and you can get, come get a bucket and take them home. <laughs> She's like, nah, I was thinking something bigger than, than minnows. I said, what you want, lady? Like largemouth? You want bluegill? She goes, She's like, no, one of those dolphins. And I said, a mahi-mahi? She's like, no, bottlenose. <laughs> I'm like, lady, first off, that's a mammal. Second, I don't think they, you can catch them that way. And third, I, I don't think it's legal. How big is your aquarium? And she was very confused. I think someone was messing with you, Rob. I don't know. And then today <laughs> I had to call the cops because people were throwing their cast nets in at Chain Bridge and then swimming out about 15 feet and going under to untangle them wow crazy crazy stuff that's uh that's ballsy but enough with me what have you been up to since we last spoke on dry flies you know i've been here tying flies Uh, i have i have been out fishing a couple times and that's it you know just just a handful of handful of fishing excursions and a lot of a lot of tying flies reorganizing uh I, i'll tell you what i've been up to so fortunately i had a lot of things in my in my vehicle i was doing a lot of cleaning fly lines and reels and reorganizing and i had a bunch of stuff in my car and unfortunately the uh, garage that my car is parked in had a bunch of break-ins i uh, my car got broken into and a lot of my equipment was stolen i had to make an insurance claim and as a result of the insurance claim, I've been doing a lot of replacing and online shopping and that sort of stuff. So it's unfortunate, but it's been kind of a little bit fun, just sort of re re-kidding, if you will. Are you upgrading anything, getting some new stuff? And were there sentimental things that... Yeah, there were. You know, to be honest, like a lot of the stuff that was taken, I mean, there was obviously rods, a lot of reels and things like that. There were definitely a lot of flies that... I spent many hours tying that, you know, you just don't get that time back. Um, so in that way, they're they're somewhat sentimental. But, you know, it was mostly just getting gear, which is all replaceable. If we see somebody fishing an Art Noglack rod, do we call, <laughs> do we call you? Yeah, right. Have exactly. Joe Humphreys come down and work them? Yeah, yeah, He'll right. take them down. <laughs> all right, so this is this is your chance to convince me to throw more than just one pattern for streamers. So I only throw my bacon fly. So we're going to get into everything streamer related. And then uh, we'll talk about the history and, and fishing and techniques and tying and everything else. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So streamers used to be rather small and, and rather basic. And they seem to have taken a back seat to modern articulated flies. Do you want to talk about what a, an old school streamer may have been compared to what you would see now as working in a fly shop, you've seen the evolution of this throughout the years. And, and why don't people fish those old Mickey fins? And you don't hear about the Kiwi muddler anymore. Nobody really talks about muddler minnows. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think that, um, you know, the, you know, a, a, a good, like to me at least, and I'm sure there's older ones to me, the, the old school patterns are, are the, um, you know, the deer hair, the small deer hair bugs, right? You know, the small deer hair streamers, you know, whether it's a, a black nose dace or, or, a, or a Mickey Finn or, um, 
you know, they're very, they're very slim and, and sort of have a, a bait fish, small minnow kind of profile to them. Um, what's the other? Oh, the gray, gray ghost is another one. You know, they might have like a little chicken hackle hanging off the back or something very simple. And these are typically flies that you would see tied from a size 10 maybe up to a you know a size four might would be a huge one and those were those were popular for many years and you know lots of lots of great fish were were taken on them and then i think just with the advent of 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 tying and and you know really more so probably fly rod technology where you had the ability to you know to throw you know these heavy streamers and and heavier flies on freshwater tackle you started to see flies get larger and larger and larger. And it's not to say that those smaller streamer patterns do not work. They still work to this day. And in fact, there are some situations and on some streams that I've seen them work, um, you know, much better than things like, even things like woolly buggers. You know, a really good, uh, a really good example is I watched a, a, a good friend of mine um, and former coworker, Jake Kwapazeski, we were we were uh, fishing a, a a spot on the west branch of the Delaware, and at the time he was fishing that stream religiously, and we were uh, we were swinging down through with our with our spay rods in this this really long stretch that held a lot of big fish. I went down through with a larger fly and didn't hook anything, and he would he was actually behind me with a much smaller kind of a a, a gray ghost type of type of fly and he hooked i think he he only landed one but he hooked three very large fish that were all 20 inches or better in the same stretch that i i you know put a a much bigger fly through so uh and he swears by those types of patterns um if you ask some of the guys at you know uh the west branch angler resort uh there's a guy ben there that catches a lot of big fish and is a is a really friendly dude um he swears by these old school you know old school small patterns and then a big pattern for him might be like a like a a, a, a deceiver or something like that so he's gonna you know, he'll even use like sparse or saltwater patterns in there for those larger fish um, they still work they still work big fish eat big flies and, and little flies but can little fish eat the big flies too? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, especially probably, you know, it's probably been in a while now, but maybe five or six years ago, I really caught the, the streamer bug. And not that, not that I, you know, hadn't had it before, but, you know, I just kind of started fishing a lot of streamers for trout, a lot of big streamers for trout. And, and I really got into catching, you know, I was really always targeting really, you know, much larger fish and, and kind of gave up on nymphing and dry fly fishing for a long time. It's to me, it's far more amazing how small of a fish will eat a six to eight inch fly than it is how large of a fish will eat a six to eight inch fly. Yeah, so lots of, you know, lots of 10, 11, 12, 13 inch fish are definitely caught fishing six seven inch long streamers for sure it's amazing what you can have a fish put their mouth around and try and swallow it's like mm -hmm. watching the birds down on the river seeing a, a cormorant eat like a small gizzard shad you're like mm -hmm. how did you fit that in there yeah absolutely 
And I've always wondered how they fly after eating all that weight in fish. How many do they eat? Are they like gorging down on a lot? See them just guzzle down gizzards and herring all day long. Wow. I've seen blue herons eat full grown female, like shadro full gizzards and fly away. How do they digest them? Somebody told me there's like an acid in their stomach or belly or something because they don't, they're obviously not chewing. Yeah. It's just like that little skinny neck. How do they not get caught in there? Just the way it goes down. Birds also don't have a gag reflex, which is how you can make foie gras. They, they, they just swallow things whole. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we, uh, do we know who came up with the idea for an articulated fly for streamers? I have no idea. I'm just curious. I have to Google that. Yeah, I don't know who came up with that. I don't know where it came out, but that seems to be the modern thing. The appearance of modern streamers and 99% of those big streamers I see on social media that people are tying. You'll never actually see those in a fish's mouth. I feel like people are using Instagram just to boast their creativity and their monstrosities, which leads me to my next question. I feel that the modern streamer is a Rube Goldberg machine to catch fish. <laughs> Overly Uh, complicated with lots of extra things in it to do a simple task where we just mentioned the gray ghost, the Mickey Finn, the, you know, deer hair muddler. Those would all catch huge fish back in the day. I think people just want to show off their skills, but they don't actually fish a lot of the things. You don't see the same people fishing the flies that they're posting. You know, I, I, I'll tell you this. There's a, there's a couple layers to this. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with with your sentiments, and, and I want to make sure that I'm not misquoting you. But I don't think that I think that modern streamers catch more fish than these old school patterns that we're talking about. Unlike nymphs and dry flies, where I think that the the old school patterns that we've had for many, many generations are just as good, if not better, as some of the new advents. I think that I think that fly tying technology and materials, and specifically the creativities of the of the tires, have given us, in, especially in streamers, have given us more variety and more versatility in our bugs, especially with the advent of fly line technology, having the ability to have, you know, sink tips and full sinking lines and, you know, intermediate lines and floating lines that are tapered in such a way that you could turn over a really heavy fly with not a lot of line out or not having to carry a lot of line. All of these things combined, I think, have really helped the streamer game. Not that you're wrong that, you know, and I've been guilty of this too, that, you know, especially as somebody who doesn't get to fish anywhere near as much as I want to, I'm in the shop all the time, you know, 50 hours a week, you know, and I have a wife at home and, you know, you get, you get all this, you know, time to, you don't get as much time rather as you want to to fish. Fly tying, however, is a way that you can kind of stay connected to the sport in times that you can't get out. You know, you can always find an hour here or there, especially on a rainy day, where you can sit down and tie some flies. And I do think that a lot of the creative, uh, especially the, the very creative streamers that you see coming out, of course, there are a lot of people that, you know, they spend a lot of time on that. And to me, it's kind of like a, almost like a piece of artwork or something. So, Yes, so I'm, 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 I understand what you mean, 
and and I think you're right. I think in a lot of cases you don't see a lot of those flies in a lot of fish's mouths. But I think that that's that's more correlation in that cause. I, I think the reason you don't see a lot of big streamers in a lot of fish's mouth is more because you don't catch a lot of fish on a lot of big streamers. I don't think it has to do with any of the pattern. I don't think it matters if it's a size two, eight inch long Mickey Finn or a size, you know, or a game changer. It, it, I don't think, I, I just think it's highly unlikely, you know, like when I go out, when we're fishing these larger streamers, if you catch a fish or two in, you know, kind of the 20 inch range, which is to me, what I consider to be a big fish, you know, we're kind of in big, like serious fish territory. Once we get to that 20 inch uh, mark and over, you know, that's kind of the point, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading where it says, you know, kind of 18 inches and up is when they sort of shift to a mostly predatory ambush diet. I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, but, but the point, the point is, is, is I am a firm believer that modern streamers are better and do catch more fish than your old school jams. That being said, I still think a woolly bugger probably takes more trout than any other, any other one fly out there. But I don't think a size six woolly bugger is taking as many 20 to 24 inch fish than large streamers. All right. What are these large streamers mimicking are people trying to match the hatch or their specific organisms and i when i read about trout in cold water it's always about the sculpin seems that most people want to just imitate a sculpin but there seems to be a lot of other things out there your flies flies you carry in the shop what are they representing that a trout would eat so i i in my fly tying i really especially for trout i really try to stay uh I want I want to tie things that are or, or I want things that are representative of many things, you know, uh, similar to you know similar to a woolly bugger, right? Just on a much larger scale, you know, a woolly bugger I think was originally tied to look like a helgramite, but it could be a small sculpin or a bait fish or a crayfish or it's just very indicative of a lot of different or suggestive rather of a lot of different things. And even when I go to larger streamers, I kind of want to keep that look, you know, uh, trout, you know, large trout in that 20 to 24 inch class eat a lot of different foods, you know, everything from, you know, small rodents, uh, bait fish, like, you know, whether it's shad or other trout or dace or small suckers, whatever, you know, depending on what's in the, what's in the system, obviously, uh, uh, you know, and, and on to your, your sculpins and your crayfish and, um, you know, snakes and whatever else. There's there's a, a ducks. <laughs> there's a, a wide variety of um, of food sources that these predators eat, and some of them. And, and just because they're very large doesn't mean they're also not bug eaters too, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot of places that I fish where I was in an undisclosed location the day before yesterday, where I was watching fish that were certainly in that 20 inch class eating what was probably midges you know, or spinners, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, that you're matching the hatch to answer your question. I think that you're giving a, giving a fish a food source 
to ambush that is in you know suggestive of something that's readily available right i think some tires definitely try to make flies that look exactly like a little brown trout or exactly like a little sculpin but the ones that in my opinion are the most effective are the ones that are suggestive of a food source you know a a wide variety of fish in the right color and the right right silhouette we're going to get more to that in a bit are there any well-known tires and and not so much well-known maybe underground tires that are are big influencers for you for your company or just in general that you hear read see about people you've met along the way you know there's there's tons of tires like that and everyone knows you know who they are and you know uh, uh, you can add me to the long list of people that you know, have great things to say about Cali Gallup and Charlie Craven and newer innovative guy, you know, Blaine Chocolate has figured out a way to turn every single fly in the world into a game changer of some variety, which is really cool. You know, uh, uh, Greg Senyo as, as being a, a native Clevelander and, and cutting my teeth on steelhead, Greg Senyo was a very, uh, it was influenced a lot of my tying you know grow, growing up so there's there's lots you know lots of them um it, it, and we're talking specifically streamers yeah i mean there's 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 tons of stuff there's a guy i follow on instagram uh his handle is uh sven diesel he's a he's a really cool innovative innovative fly tire that uses a lot of unconventional materials and techniques and colors so yes there's there's definitely a ton um I do think that, you know, to, you know, in your, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, you talked about like the advent of like articulated streamers versus, you know, these older, these older patterns that we, you know, sort of grew up on. Most of these flies work so well, in my opinion, because they're largely exactly the same. Like, and that, and that's not to take anything away from the tires that created them that are often, you know, people that I have a lot of respect for and appreciate their ingenuity. But, you know, there isn't in the water when it's when you're stripping it anecdotally in the moment, there's not much difference between a circus peanut and a double gonga and a sex dungeon and a you know, Schultz's S4 and, uh, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. It's a double hook thing with a woolly bugger on the back end and something else on the front end, you know, and, and if you, you know, some have rubber legs and some don't, some have flash and some don't, but they're all, they're all pretty much the same, the same fly. That's my burger analogy. Like the fly is just a burger. You add bacon to it, it's bacon cheeseburger. You add something else to it, you get to call it something else, but it's still the same original palette that everyone starts with, but you can just add and subtract other things, but there's correct. Still, I can still see how they're all related. Correct. And, and, you know, I don't, I think about it more like, you know, when I look at like my most successful, you know, we call them streamer days, you know, and, 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 and days that I've, I've had the most action on streamers. I am definitely not convinced that it was the fly, you know what I mean? Ever. 
I think that sometimes some flies might work a little bit better than others, but but largely, like if you it, you know, to me, it's more the like sort of size and silhouette of whatever you know it is I'm using, and the fact that they they want to be grabby that day and they want to chase things around, and. If something's working, I'm going to keep using it. But the reality is, is if I tied on, like, something slightly different, you know, in a similar size, even if it's a different color, I still think they're going to chase it most of the time. Dang you it, know? All right. So I think, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. With, All right. with... We're going to move into some uh, professional fly shop questions now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the popular streamers you currently carry in the fly shop when you were open? before yeah before the COVID thing i mean you know so you know obviously let's let's talk about like one hook and two hook streamers you know articulated and non the in the non-articulated department obviously you know your smaller streamers are going to be woolly buggers and golden retrievers are the two most that's, that's a regional fly invented by jim finn you want to talk about the golden retriever I, you know more about it than me at this point. I, I'm not from here. To me, it's just a woolly bug. He used to fish on Mossy Creek. He originally owned MossyCreek.com, I think. Oh, this really? a guy named Jim Finn, and it's sort of this just small, peachy-colored woolly bugger with a bead and was it like red thread collar? Yeah, yeah. And right. the kids love it here. It, it yeah. catches a ton of fish. It does. Yeah, people swear by it, and I've sold a ton of them. I don't know that I've ever even personally used one myself, but I know it works <laughs> because people rave about it. And, it. and it comes in lots of colors, too. It's not just the peach now. Now they, you know, local tires tie them in all kinds of different different colors. And an old one that probably predates you is the Patuxent River Special, which had the reverse hackle on it, and I think maybe had some kind of foxy fur tied into it. Have you ever even heard of that fly? I think I have. I, I think I've heard it mentioned before, but but I don't I don't know it. You know, and obviously, like the flies that I carry, really are, you know, I we order all of our flies. You know, so a lot of the stuff is just stuff that I know that has worked. So I've brought you know, into the Orvis stores in the area, I've brought a lot of sort of my Midwest flavor to our fly assortments, right? So I carry a lot of, you know. Schultz's flies, you know, those were always really big, you know, Senyos and Schultz's flies were, were really big in my areas and flies that I grew up on. So. That's Schultz out of Ypsilanti? Ypsilanti? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti, I don't know, Michigan. But he does a lot, there's a lot of great, you know, amazing smallmouth patterns that, that he ties that are just phenomenal for trout too. And some for some for steelhead as, as well. So uh, some of my favorites are again like in the single hook type of jam, or some of his like Schultz's red-eyed leech patterns. Um, Schultz's steech is another another pattern that I really like. The the his crayfish patterns. He's got like a clear water and a, a clear water cray, and um, or no, is it a low water low water cray, and um, some other you know. Look his stuff up. He, he, he's if I had to pick one one tire that you know, or sort of one person's flies that I've I've I can I've always had tons of success on, it would definitely be definitely be his his stuff. What about streamers that are tied commercially versus homemade? Like I've picked up fly shop game changers and they're very stiff. Are there certain flies um, that just kind of come out not as yeah. 
Yes, but it's not the fly. It, it, it's the batches. Sometimes it's the it's the it's the company you're getting them from. You know, so like a perfect example is like I've had you know I've had times where you know I get double gongas from Umqua, for instance, and they come out amazing, and I'm extremely happy with them, right? But other times, nah, they're not as good, right? There's some there's some flies that look phenomenal, but I don't like the hook on it. And not even that the hook is cheap. It's just that it's the wrong hook. You know, there's so many. And actually, that, that double gong is a perfect example. I love that fly. It when, when you buy it commercially, I find it to, in my own personal opinion, and not that it doesn't catch a lot of fish, and not that Charlie Craven ties his own fly on the wrong hook. But to me, the hook gap, you're using a nymph hook to tie that articulated streamer. And the hook gap is too small. And, you know, I was in a, I was talking to a person at a fly shop not too long ago, somebody who works in a fly shop. And I brought this, this point up to that person. And that person said, well, you know, that's because fish, that doesn't really matter because fish eat the rear hook 90% of the time, was the quote. And the first thing I thought in my head is, hmm, I probably catch 90% of my fish on the front hook. When, so when I'm fishing for trout and I'm fishing a, an articulated streamer, and I thought about this the other day, I tagged them. Uh, I, I, actually, I actually tagged four, four fish in a, in a place, undisclosed place yesterday, or two days ago, three days ago, that were all, all brown trout, all 20 inches or better, fishing streamers. It was, it was a really good day. And, uh, and I'm not going to hotspot it, so don't ask me. But all of them were on the front hook. And I, I catch most of my fish on the front hook when I tie the fly, because I, I use a pretty wide gap hook, and I can leave a lot of space on that front hook because I, I find that fish large predatory fish do not casually swim up to a, a bait fish and grab it on the tail. They smash it at the head of the, of the, of the, uh, the bait to kill it. And I think what happens is I think that that person in that shop that I was talking to, I think that he's, he's probably throwing those commercial streamers where the hook gap's too small and they're getting hits and when, on the strip set, they're hooking it with the rear hook. I think that that often, often happens. I know that was a little long-winded, but for me, if you, if you hook a fish on that second hook, you either did something wrong or the fish did something wrong or there was a weird angle. I don't know about you, but for me with trout, maybe it's just the angles that I'm fishing at. I, I get them in the front hook almost every time. Now, do you ever find people, they have misconceptions about streamers? Not like, hey, I need a a Nancy P to go brook trout fishing, but do people read things and see things in, ma in magazines and on movies and then come in with these expe expectations yep. that I need to buy this big fly or I need to buy a certain streamer only to catch a huge fish. Do people yep. come in with just, you're like, let's, let's have a cup of coffee and I need to explain some things right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have misconceptions that as soon as they tie a large fish, a large fly on that somehow that's going to attract all the larger fish to their fly. And then what they don't realize is, is what they're seeing 
on Instagram and on social media is you're seeing what is a, a few things. You're seeing people that post every big fish they've ever caught and they're fishing a ton, right? You're also seeing guides that are putting large fish in the boat on a consistent basis. But what you forget is they have two clients fishing, doing the same thing down a river all day, every day. So of course they're going to, you know, they're going to come up with these, with these larger fish and, and not to take anything away from these people. They got every right to be super proud of all the big fish that they're catching. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is it's not, it's not like, you know, you come in with a seven inch fly and you, you come and you buy a seven inch fly and you strip it around all day and you're going to catch multiple fish that are two feet long. That's not the case. You know, there's a lot of time you have to put it in it. And it's, and it, I say this about every fly. It's so much less about the fly than we think it is. You know, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but like, you know, if you give me any, you know, six inch, large streamer and any color combination you can think of and if but if you but if you give me like the right boat and the right amount of time on the right river i'm gonna i'm gonna catch big trout on it it, does, it doesn't matter even if it's a terrible fly i'm probably gonna catch big trout on it because i know where to put it and i know how to strip it and i know you know how to present it and that takes time and energy and years and you know of course some flies are better than other flies at certain at certain times but it's not the fly you know there's no there's no secret sauce to you know it's it's just like it's just like rubber worms you know rubber worms are the same thing it's like Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. There are many times when that's just a terrible fly. You know, there's times where it's a good fly, but there's times when it's a terrible fly. Do do a lot more fish like the rubber worm than the pheasant tail? Probably not. Probably not. But it's more forgiving, right? You you can you can fish it bad and still catch a fish con- consistently. And I, and I think people kind of think that that's how the the streamer game works. That like somehow the articulated sh- larger streamers are somehow going to attract the big fish to to their to their line and i I just think that that's yeah i do have to have that conversation a lot do you ever have strange requests about streamers yes yes i have i have lots of strange requests like you get you get a lot of like well you know why don't they tie this fly with a bunch of lead wrapped on it and a bunch of uh you know or why doesn't this have dumbbell like lead eyes why does it have plastic eyes or why does it you know and i think what they don't understand is like the fly you know often and and, you know and of course you explain it to them and they then they understand but you know flies are tied you know these tires have a a very specific purpose for the fly which is why it doesn't have a lot of weight you know it's meant to be fish on a sinking line or you know 
just uh, th things like that. Or the uh, we get what, what's a good request for I'm trying to think. I know I get strange streamer requests. Has anybody tried to return a streamer saying they were unable to catch a fish with it? I don't think I've had that. No, I don't think I've had that. What's a good upsell when someone comes in to buy streamers? Upsell. What are add-ons? Add-on, add-on, you know, and I hate to, I hesitate to even freaking call it upsell because, you know, but I, I think the, the big thing is Floro, tip it. I think that that definitely is is something. I mean, when you're when you're dragging a heavy fly through rocks and on the bottom and, you know, uh, you're getting, you know, streamers, you tend to get hooked a lot in trees and wrapped around branches and bark and, you know, so that uh, that more abrasion resistant tippet material is an easy, is an easy add on. A hook sharpener is something that I swear by. You know, you're going through all this work to look for these big fish you want to make sure you stick them when when he eats you know so that's an easy that's a kind of an easy suggestion for uh for people another one is a uh, uh some sort of drying patch you do not want to take especially streamers and put them wet back into your fly box when you use them you can rust that whole fly box and all the flies in it pretty pretty easily doing stuff like that do you ever put silica packets? Like when someone buys a pair of a shoes at the store and the silica pack falls out, do you ever throw that thing in your fly box? No, I've never thought of doing that. Does that work? Oh, yeah. I always keep them in there. Does it really? Yeah. Wow. Like, uh, yeah, they're like in the bottom of like my beef jerky bags. Yeah. We collect yeah. all those. The, the ones you get with like nori and shoes. Now, I used to grind them up and keep them in a film canister. And when I worked in Colorado, I was told fly not to. Yeah, I was not. I was told not to keep crushed up silica as a white powder in a film canister in the shop because someone would snort it. I was like, well, okay then. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I used to. I used to just crush them up, and I had film canisters because I used to shoot a lot of film, and I would just carry around crushed up shoe packets, like the stuff that Elaine put in the salsa on Seinfeld. <laughs> we you keep know, them just I for if your iPhone gets wet, you collect them, throw them in a Ziploc bag with all of those. Yeah. We get a lot of strange, um, and this is, you know, this is an ode to, I think, the ode to Blaine. Like, you get a lot of game changer type requests, but then when you put them in the shop, people don't want to pay for them. Like, they're, they're expensive because they're very time consuming to tie. And they're not hard to tie. Most game changers are actually amongst some of the easiest flies i mean i'm not going to say it's beginner level but but for an advanced as far as advanced fly tying goes the game changer is one of the easier the easier flies you can you can tie i mean it's largely the exact same motion with one material over and over and over and over and over again you're basically articulating a shank tying on a material articulating a shank tying on a material it's all the same material all the way down you know cutting you know cutting and trimming is a is another technique all in its own but i find i find like the the game changer type flies even the uh well actually even especially the feathered ones to be uh pretty pretty straightforward and they look great in the water and that kind of stuff does catch fish um but they are time consuming i don't believe them to work better than regular articulated flies with one articulation
I believe them to work just as good. Anytime I, I will also always take pulsation, if that's a word, over articulation. I don't always want my, if you look at a fish and the way that a fish moves, it does not snake. You know what I mean? Like its body doesn't gyrate. Uh, maybe that's not the word. It doesn't, Move it like doesn't. A or an eel. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't hinge. Right. You know, they, they, they have those large forked or those large paddles on their tail for a reason, because one small movement similar to a rudder, one small movement has a net energy effect that allows that fish to move without all of that effort, right? So a lot of times, like to be honest, although there's a lot of movement and I have caught lots of fish on Game Changers because it is a very attractive with the movement, it's less realistic in my opinion than, you know, a fly that's, you know, more more profile, more of the correct profile, less of the undulation. But I'll be damned if that thing doesn't catch tons of fish because it does, you know. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying that. And 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 Blaine is a an extremely is an extremely creative, uh, creative dude. The reality is, is as it relates to boots on the ground, guys in fly, and I've worked in many shops. We don't, we don't sell a lot of them. You know, um, even if we, you know, people typically buy what you suggest, regardless of the price. That one is kind of where where people start drawing the line. Like they start drawing the line at like ten bucks, right? Yeah, like when Bishrot's yeah. pole dancer came out, it's like sixteen ninety five for a topwater fly. Like, I don't understand how people spend twenty something bucks on a crankbait. Like, I don't either. Punch me in the nose and throw my wallet in the garbage can. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the musky flies definitely like those get to be, those get to be pretty big and, and expensive, but it's, it's tough. You know, it's very tough to get people in the shops to buy, uh, to, uh, to spend, spend on those game changers. I, and, and also too, I see a lot of mini game changers in shops. Uh, also mini gongas. I see a lot of like, Lot, like like the shop, I don't think the shops typically sell a lot of big streamers, at least in our area, because you don't see them in there often, right? You gotta you, go you to see, uh, like once once it starts to get over to over four inches, it's very slim picking. Right, more of like Michigan, uh, Missouri, Montana. Yeah, we we carry a lot of big flies in our shop, but we our staff does a lot of hunting for big browns like trunzo has been out he got a really pretty one the other day was that with you may have been i don't know when that depends on when you when you posted it but all right we uh we we were out very recently and he did get into a a big in that we took a photo of i'm not a photo taker of trout i don't take a lot of i almost never take photos of the big ones anymore are you do you have a, a an adult beverage with you right now too i do i have a um a low pitch juicy IPA by Highwire um, Brewing. It's really good. I, I like it. Sounds tastier than my my hams. I got here. <laughs> America's classic premier beer, born yeah. in the 
Land of sky blue waters. Ham since 1865. Yummer. All right, let's talk about fly tying. We're going to talk about everything that goes into this stuff and why. So maybe just take one of your favorite streamers. What makes a, an effective, productive streamer? Effective, productive streamer. It's got to look like multiple things, right? You have to be able to look at it and convince yourself that it's more than one thing, right? To me, like it's got to be, and we're talking trout. It's a completely different conversation if I'm talking warm water or. Um, we'll do that podcast in June. Yeah, or. It ever or gets salt, hot here. Or salt water. I'm cold in the basement really, right now, really, too. The reason is, man, and here's the, here's the thing. We're talking cold water, and let me talk about cold moving water. I don't know anything about still water trout fishing at all. But in cold moving water, if you're fishing a, a streamer effectively, if the water's moving, you're, the fly is moving, right? You don't, especially with larger streamers and larger fish, you don't want the fish to be able to inspect it for very long, right? You have an ambush predator situation, an opportunistic fish situation. You want to be moving that fly in a fashion that you're going to be able to tight to the line and detect the strike immediately. You're going to be able to set the hook and you're giving movement and action of the fly that's indicative of a real, a real bait fish or, or whatever it is you're trying to imitate. But the thing is, is I don't want something that looks, you know, exactly like a black nose dace or something that looks exactly like a sculpin necessarily you know those things not that those things don't work because they do but i want something that's indicative of a lot of different things my all-time favorite you know day in day out big streamer is a double gonga it's always been and when i mean double gonga i mean Circus Peanut, too. I mean, Sex Dungeon as well. I mean, the the Schultz's S4 Sculpin. Those are all the exact same fly to me. And they all work just as good because they're exactly the same. There is very, very little difference in action and mm -hmm. appearance if tied in the right color and in the right way mm -hmm. once they're in the water and you get to, you get to ripping on it. I don't know. Are we in agreement on that? Like yes. those are, those right. are pretty damn similar. Do you and have a color motif? Do you do like the olive blackish brownish? Just I do. And my color motif isn't off, off the wall. Uh, it's not normal. I am like, well, I shouldn't say it's not normal. It's not that it's not like you, you, you fish a lot of like really vibrant stuff for, uh, non-steelhead salmon species and catch fish which is awesome but mine is kind of i have this like brownish goldish orangish you know, like I, I if you look at my fly, the flies that i tie I, I first of all one i like a lot of dimension and color very rarely do you ever see me see, tie one solid color or even two i usually have three to four colors going on in my flies at all times, you know? So I'm always hiding like accent fibers. Like when I tie a double gonga, for instance, it looks very, I mean, it's, it looks like Charlie Craven's bug, but I add a lot of different things. You know, I've got a, 
I've got a bigger hook, a wider gap hook on the front end of the Let's fly. Let's talk about the wider gap. You mentioned earlier about that wrong hook. What what does the the gap do for you? So I'm con I'm convinced that that you need space between on the front hook especially, you need space between the head of the fly and the point of the hook, right? So you have to imagine that I, I believe that large predatory trout attack from the side. I think they T-bone the fly or hit it right at the head. Stun it, come around, and then gobble it up. Correct. Because they don't want to burn more energy right. chasing it than they're going to gain from eating it. And they don't yeah. want to injure their eyes or their mouth. Right. And and I'm not, you know, people say that they nip at them from the back. I, I think that's ridiculous. That's I sad. Don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think that anybody that, that's trying to swallow something is going to, you know, nip it, nip it in the tail. You know, that Plus, just doesn't. You need to swallow things head first. That's the, otherwise they get stuck. Correct. Correct. So I, I think they hit it from the front. And I think that if you're the head of the fly is too bulky, relative to the gap of the hook you you stand to miss that miss that fish so like as just sort of a general i guess guideline for me is the gap like i need to be able to put my thumb or uh pointer finger through the gap without any touching anything without any problem at all you know and and i think i think that i get more hookups that way and less miss missed fish all right, we're going to break down everything that goes into a streamer. What is your preferred thread these days for, for tying? And not just the strength. Are you a color person? I am not a color person with thread. Um, unless, unless, I mean, of course, there's exceptions. You know, if I'm using like a clouser, if I'm tying a clouser minnow, yes, I have to have the right color thread because it, you can tell. You know, you can, you can see it. But on most streamers, unless I'm... You know, looking for a hot spot or something. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty liberal with the color. You know, so black is perfect. I am definitely a uh, people use thread that is often too heavy for their skill level. Uh, so you'll see a lot of people like using saltwater uh, threads and things like that on these larger streamers. And that and that's okay if you can get the materials on there without too much bulk. But often I don't think you can. So I'm, I'm usually like a, between six and three-aught uni and or Orvis for my streamers. Uni six-aught is, I don't care what they say, it is way thicker than six odd anything else i don't know if it's a diameter it might just be like a like a material thing and an inconsistency thing but i i use i'll use a six odd you know 136 denier or denier or whatever whatever it's called on a on an articulated streamer often if i'm using orvis thread i'll often use a three odd um for, on there for trout streamers you got the shakes no. What do you mean? I just sounded like your computer was fighting you. How oh, weird. And do you ever do something like a nano silk? Would you ever do a, a Kevlar thread? Any any sort of 
more unique specific threads that you might get into or are you just going to be straight up like six out three out black i'm good to go yeah yeah no i i'm i'm not too fancy with the threads i know there's a lot of cool stuff out there um that i haven't i haven't experimented with and and maybe one day i will but but right now it's a if it ain't broke don't fix it what's your scissor situation and i'm going to tell you i endorse the uh, the pat cohen's wish he made a more narrow point but those scissors are sharp and they're heavy in the hand and they don't bend get dinged up yeah um maybe it's awesome you i just bought new scissors i just bought a new a new like scissor kit it's on the way from orbis right now um i've always i've i think i started with dr slick scissors r.i.p dr slick yeah yeah months ago yeah yeah when i first started fly tying which was uh i don't know how many years it's been a lot a lot like age 15 or something and um i'm 33 now you can do the math on that i and then i immediately moved to orvis stuff and i've kind of been using orvis brand scissors ever since i am I replace, I, I always get this, like, Orvis has, like, a kit of three scissors. And, like, you know, every four or five years, I, I buy this kit. And it's got, like, a set of precisions. And then, like, the old kit becomes, like, my junk scissors. And I put a little piece of blue tape on them to designate that they're, like, dull, like, starting to dull. And I use them for, you know, cutting junk stuff like bucktail or uh, things that'll piece. dull it. Yeah, copper wire. Right, exactly. I always have like a good set and a dull set. When I grab my nice scissors and I'm not paying attention and I go to cut beetle on, I'm like, oh damn it! Like I've got wire cutting pliers right in front of me. Ooh. But sometimes I'll just I'll have my loon scissors and I'm like, oh dude. And you just go. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. You know what I really want to do though, is the guy that in the on in the riffle. What's his name? I don't remember his name, but that's a he pretty prolific dam- site. He did the damsel recently, didn't he? A couple oh. years ago. Uh, do you wait? You mean Flagler? Is that who did it? Yeah, is Flagler that- did the the damsel not too long ago. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure the damsel's been covered in the riffle. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But this guy, he 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 files down the back end of his whip finisher. Yeah, that's Tim Flagler, because Thomas and Stankus were both introduced me to that for cutting. Yes, I want to do that. Have you done it? Have you? No, tried I don't really use a whip finisher that much. I'm, you know, I can half hitch, and if it's a presentation fly for somebody, then I'll I'll do that because it's a neat or not. Yeah. yeah. The last thing you want me to have something that's sharp on one end and dull on the other that I'm gonna poke myself with that's true you don't, need, you don't need too many sharp objects i already i cut my finger open today on a piece of bamboo that was cut at an angle with like hedge trimmers and i didn't see it and i went to chop something in the garden and uh, i hit it with my index finger and now i've got like uh, a bifurcated index finger almost it's pretty gross i i get hurt with things you don't want too many <laughs> sharp objects near me which is odd for the business I'm in, which is pretty much all sharp things. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I have the word density. Uh, would that be, I'm going to say density of the material. 
So if you want something to sink, are you going to use dense material or are you going to rely on something else to get it down versus something that's buoyant? Say dry so, flies, you use deer hair, wet flies like bunny. It sinks. Do you, do you lean towards materials based on the properties they have? Yes, yes, but but I don't know that I would use the word density. I, I guess I just don't think about it that way. So so two things. If you want to get the fly down, like so let's just talk about a floating line. Let's say you're using a floating line. If you want to get the fly down, the first thing you want to do is have a longer leader. The second thing you want to do is have less material, whatever it is. So the sparser the fly, the faster it's going to get down, right? It's kind of like why, uh, you know, it's kind of like why, uh, why uh, like a, spar a, a much sparser Clouser minnow sinks faster than one that's got more bucktail on it, right? The more bucktail you put on the Clouser minnow, the harder it is going to be, it's going to be to get down. Then I typically rely on some sort of weight, right? So whether it's going to be a cone or it's going to be dumbbell eyes or whether it's going to be a lead or lead-free wire wrap, um, right? That's that's going to help me too. But you want the most bang for your buck in a material, in my opinion. Marabou is a good example, right? Marabou gives you the perception of a large moving pulsating profile which is my next question is materials that breathe which would okay be marabou like the undulation in the water by itself where you can hold a fly still in the current and it's going to do all that action for you right right so i would say largely it it de it just depends it, it you know because it's relative right some very dense you know you can't like here's an example you can't say Deer hair, because a bucktail is much less hollow than the body hair. Deer belly, right? Exactly, exactly, right? Like deer belly is gonna gonna float at a much higher rate than deer the, the bucktail, right? So I don't know that I would use, but I would say that less material almost always equates to getting down faster. What are some of your favorite materials you tie your flies with? My favorite is marabou. My guilty pleasure is guinea. I, I can find a way to put guinea on everything. <laughs> I always have a hard time just finding a really nice guinea fowl. I got to do every packet. You can buy it direct. That's because they're largely, guinea feathers are largely inconsistent when you get them but here's the thing they're they're inconsistent because they're no different than they're no different than chickens right like you get large ones you get small ones there's different you know different ones that could be used for different things you can get them as small enough to use them as soft tackles but typically when you go to a fly shop and, he, and here's the thing even the best fly shops we gotta we gotta cut fly shops some slack here even the best fly shops are pretty i'm not going to say poorly assorted they're pretty limited in what they have in fly tying relative to what's out there there's just not enough space right and 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 you know people are looking for 
a 4X long streamer hook, a bead, and a marabou and some chenille to tie a woolly bugger, or, you know, rubber worm supplies or a pheasant tail 90% of the time. You know, it's 90% of the time it's some really basic fly that they're tying, which is cool. And, and you know, the more advanced tires, are, like myself, are looking for all of these, you know, different different little pieces and parts that very few people ever buy. So we can't get mad at the fly shops for not having everything. Guinea is definitely something that gets skimped on. You can get bulk Guinea fibers at, at most fly shops. Feathers and uh, I like them a lot. Similar to the reason I like Schlappen so much. Well, They're that really... That's on my other list here. They're really, I, I prefer schlopping over rooster most of the time, unless I'm tying smaller flies, because it's, the, the guinea is webby, and it's really strong, and it offers a lot of movement, and then obviously it comes in all these really cool, it's kind of a, a it's kind of a steelhead salmon-y fiber, so it comes in a lot of really cool colors that make great accents, so I put guinea on a lot of collars, you know, between an articulation point, uh, uh, you know, things like that, just to add another little element to, to a fly, so a good example is like, you know, if I'm tying a fly that's olive, you know, maybe an olive or a brown, I'm always going to throw like an orange guinea collar on it. You know, not always, but often, just to give it a little extra something. Like, I call it like a hot spot. You know, I don't know if it works, if it if it adds any any fish fooling ability, but I, I think it looks cool personally. Okay. So that's my guilty pleasure is is guinea um, for sure. My favorite is marabou. I think all all streamers. Oh, it's got to be to me. It's got to be the best fly tying material there is might not be the most versatile but it's definitely it just moves unlike anything things that get me excited in fly time is when i open up a pack of marabou and it's just really good and wispy and long and i'm not even breathing and there's no air movement in the room but you can see them just i know it's amazing. i get excited it's like when you're a chef and you just get like a really good piece of marbled beef or something i guess i yeah. get excited for marabou I've There's got my Ziploc bag right here. This is a hefty, what size Ziploc bag is this? This is a probably a gallon plus Ziploc bag. And I probably have 30 or 40 different packs of Maribel in there. Gotta be more than that. You gotta look through it before you buy it. Yeah, that's, I, I have trouble buying it online. That's always a gamble. Yeah, it is because they come in too short or they come in and like, there's all that white stuff in the bottom or there's like separations in the fibers so you can't palmer them very well yeah really stiff stem to it i had a guy tell me recently that his local he's not from around here that his local fly shop gets mad when he opens up the bags and looks through the materials I would encourage that if I was in a fly shop. I would want to see that, that someone's that dedicated to the art that they would want to pick out exactly what they need. Yeah, it's like if you go to a grocery store and you pick up an onion or an apple, you don't just grab the closest one, right? Yeah, I would go through 12 heads of garlic. We did Amazon Prime for food once during all of this, and they brought everything wrong. 
I was like, I need an iceberg lettuce. We got a head of cabbage. Mm -hmm. I asked for navel oranges. I got tangerines. I'm like, you know what? We're not doing this again. Yeah, I mean, I like when I go to fly shops, I buy materials that I don't need at all. If it's good. Because I found good ones, and I know I'm going to need it eventually. With bucktail, that's one of those things you have to examine more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. bucktail. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. All right. You want to talk about hooks? Yeah. There yeah. used to be not just – there's a lot of couture hook companies out there. and People like to talk about the hooks they tie on more than, than why they're using it and – and there's very distinct hooks out there for specific reasons. What hook shapes, be it eyes, the bend, the length, what do you look for in a quality hook that you are going to dress for a streamer? It, I mean, again, it largely depends on the fly, right? You know, uh, it's I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a good way to answer this question. I mean, the, the first thing, the first thing is length for me, you know, well, the first thing is whether or not I'm going to articulate the streamer or not, right? That's the first thing. I want I want the right hook length for a streamer, right? So I kind of figure out, you know, you figure out how long, and this is this is something that never gets talked about in fly tying videos, and it drives me nuts. And I try to touch on it, like when I do talks and stuff. You should know how long the pattern is from the head to the tail before you ever start tying it, right? Like you should know how long you want it to be or it's supposed to be. And I think that's important with helping the hook, right? So, so here's an example, right? So if you know like certain things, like a woolly bugger's tail is the same length as the hook shank, right? The symmetry to it. Right, so, so you know that the only thing that hangs off the back is the tail, right? So if the pattern's going to be a, you know, if you want a three-inch long woolly bugger, let's say, right, you need a hook that's going to be relatively two inches long, or, or excuse me, or, or a hook that's relatively, uh, uh, you know, one and a half inches long, right? So that tells you the size right there. Right, because a, a four is shorter than a two, and a six is shorter than a four, right? And so that I guess that's how I've always looked at it. Like, so I, I find the the length, like how big I want the fly to be. I find the the hook that m matches the length I'm looking for, and then I and then I need a, a gap relative to the size, right? Because not all like. Like, you know, there are there are flies that are tied in size one that are way larger than flies that are tied in two ot, right? Because and because the, the shape of the fly is is different, gap of the hook is different. You know what I mean? Like like you have to know it's not like a, a one size fits all with with hook size right so the first thing i want to know is like how long the hook is i need to know how strong the hook is i want to um and then i want to look at the gap of the hook what about a heavy hook versus light not just strength but maybe to add just that little bit more sinking ability to your fly 
Yeah, so that's that's one one good advantage, right? So for streamers, you can get some extra syncing ability out of your fly and some extra durability out of your uh, fly by by using a heavier gauge hook, right? So a good example of that would be like a, one of my favorite hooks to tie on is a, um, a Gamagatsu B10S. It's a super popular hook. I have one right here in a size yeah. six. Super right. sharp. I like the bend on it. Chemically sharpened. It's got a nice wide gap. It's a good bend. It is used for, it's used way too often in places it shouldn't be used. But it is a great, it is a great hook. It's heavy, right? Yeah, if I could get a thousand of these in a size four, mm. that's my choice for Clousers too. I see, I don't like it for Clousers. Oh. Not a, that's I like not... the Orvis size one saltwater hook. The 15, nope, that's the wrong one. Uh, 9034, no, size yeah. two. That's what I like for Clousers also. All, all my all my Clousers get tied on on that, even if they're fresh, even though I'm using them in fresh water. I just use a smaller one in fresh water. But, but some guys do tie them on that. That, that, that B10S is a good good hook for that. I use that hook a lot. I do think that I do think that certain hooks. The, the problem is, is that hook it doesn't work for everything. I like that for a back hook on most articulated streamers. On single flies, that's a great hook for one you're tying a thing or or. But I don't I don't usually like it as a front hook on most articulated streamers because the shank is too short. So I will often, you know, I will often use the Gamagatsu, oh, geez, what is it? The SP113HLH or, or something. Uh, I think it's like something along those lines. It's a very similar hook. I, I, think it's, I think they call it the perfect bend hook. I've got a catalog here. Yeah, see what you got. That's my favorite, like in an articulated streamer, that's my favorite front hook. What number? I think it's like SPH, SP. My wife is like sitting at the. SL45? No, I think that's the uh, Oh, hold on, here we go. Uh, specialty hooks, SP11. Yeah, three, it's like a dash. SP11-30. Yeah. These 3x long, 3x heavy, perfect yep. bend. Two yep. plated saltwater hooks are all. I like that bend. Also, a favorite for freshwater streamer hook. Yeah, that's my that's my like my favorite front hook, and then the B10S is my favorite back hook. I'm gonna have to pick some of these uh, SP11 3LHs up. I use. Uh, I also use um, bass hooks for the front hook a lot too. I am not afraid. I love the Tiemco special use hook. Is that the one you tied on the other night? That's super long. Yeah. It, it, I use it for, it, it's actually like for poppers and deer hair bugs. But I find that it makes a great front hook for a trout streamer. It's a nice wide gap on it. And, and also too, like I use a lot of my trout streamers interchangeably with my smallmouth streamers. It's a, it's a finer wire for sure. And it's not as strong as some of the other others, but it's enough. I mean, you know, I've caught so many big trout on that hook. Uh, I've never, never had one bend ever. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, what is that? That's the, that's the special use. I'm so bad with some of the model numbers unless they're Orvis. Um, it's the, the Tiemco. They just call it the special use hook, but it definitely has a, has a model number. Let me see if I can Google it real quick. I've got TMC Bass Saltwater AD8089 Deer Hair Bass Bug Hook. Yeah, that, that's the one. Wide yep. gap. Yep. Size 2, size 6, size 10, size 12. Yeah, no 4 in that, I don't think, right? Not listed in this catalog. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I think it's, uh, they need to, if they don't have it, they need that hook in a 4, for sure. All right, if you're listening, TMC. Yeah. Get, get cracking on that. Art needs a hook. Yeah, it's the 80-80-89 special use hook. Um, and it's a it's definitely a lighter wire, but I, I don't know. I'm I'm obsessed with the fact that that you need a wide gap on that on that front hook. Right on. Um, now, let's talk about connecting if you're gonna do a double hook. What is your preferred connection material and what is the purpose of the bead? Do I need beads on mine? So, so I think this all depends. It depends on what you're doing. Lots of different connection points or connection materials. Day in, day out, is, if I got a good size eye, if you have really skinny eyes on your hook, this one's a tough one just because it, it's too, I don't know if malleable is the word, it, it bends too easily. It's uh, gel spun backing. So gel spun backing is a very strong, like braided. I think it's like what? What is it? Is it braided dacron? Yeah, it's braided braided nylon, I think. Nylon, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, super strong. But it wobbles too much. It's too soft. It's very soft. It's Lip. it's a little tough to thread through the uh, through the eye if you have a skinny eye. But if you have a big eye, it's really easy. I use that. Most of my streamers. Or, or that because I can do it's just a, it's on a roll it's really easy to use the Senyo's trailer wire in my opinion is a poor product to make that articulation the coating that's that, not that that's that not what that, you? yeah that's not what that product was designed for it's called trailer wire right that product is designed for originally for and, you know, Greg can correct me if I'm wrong, but but it's called trailer wire. It was designed to go off the back of an intruder fly in, on a loop that you could slide a trailer hook or some sort of stinger hook over the back and pull it, and it was rigid enough to hold that hook in, in place off the trailer fly. It was never meant to be used as a connection but I think what happened is when it came out, it got into fly shops, and it was the only thing that a fly shop carried that you could make that connection. I think and so people started maybe people started using it for articulation, but you shouldn't be using any like eight dollar for three feet product to make that connection. You can use a lot of things. Regular Dacron backing works just fine for that. Firewire, which you can get at Home Depot, works for that. Monofilament, you know, 12 to 20 pound works for that really well. Uh, something that you're okay with throwing away, you know, is, is all you need. 
you know, I have found that somebody at a show gave me a retractable scalpel. Something I shouldn't own. Kind of clumsy guy, I told you already. Sharp objects, <laughs> I'm here not good. If I use that to cut uh, fire wire, it is the cleanest cut and it will go through anything. Mm. Scissors always leave it a little bit. Yeah, it's it's tough. Afraid, but man, that retractable scalpel. It, it that's the good thing about that about that trailer wire though is you can get it, it through a tiny hook shank really easily. So that's that's good. Now, do you ever find you might use something that's too thick and the trailing hook eye just doesn't get the action you want because there's not enough wobble room in there? No, I haven't had that happen. That yeah, was the fly we lost. I've had that happen if I pull it too tight on the beads. Right, so let's talk about the beads. Okay. I have, in front of me, I have component beads, make your own. And then I have plastic pearl-looking beads from the craft store. Mm-hmm. Nothing special. Mm-hmm. They, they work when I need them to, but I don't really understand why I put them in. Nothing really, you know, uh, jackknifes like a trailer which is what I always thought they were intended to prevent. So I think they definitely prevent the fly from fouling. Not that it won't still foul because it will still foul. But I do think the fly jackknifes depending on the material that you use. So if you use monofilament, for instance, to make that connection, you get, it's more rigid. I don't think it swings as much as if you use like the Dacron or the, or the, uh, the gel spun, for instance, I think you get more. I, I think you get more movement on that fly, depending on how long that connection is. I think they also protect the material. You know, here an example would be like something that would grab the material. Don't wouldn't grab it, if that makes any sense. So, like you know, if you were to throw that thing up into a tree or something like that, and you got an opening between those two pieces of material that you've wrapped over it's hard to kind of explain that's why i want to go fish in iceland the beads no, protect no that opening. you know the beads protect that protect that opening i think they i actually think they add a little bit of i don't know color to the fly too like a you little flare little yeah, pizzazz air like i got this giant like six millimeter bead craft kit of glass beads and like I got all kinds of colors, you know. I think it kind of adds a little something to the fly. When you, if they're not a rattle, but you, they definitely slam into each other when you strip on that fly. Um, and I guarantee you that adds a little bit of ticking to the to the bug that fish may or may not pick up on their lateral lines. You know, I don't know. So there's a lot of thoughts in, in my head, but I think it's mostly just a, you know, just a separation, you know, kind of hinge point that the. Uh, I think the idea was to prevent that that fly from being able to fully swing around and um, and foul, but it still will. Now, with the second hook, have you ever been stuck while undoing a fish by the other hook? Because I haven't, it hurts. I, I don't like having two hooks on a fly. Yes, I have definitely. I, I pinch the barbs on all my flies. Always. Dude, I'm not going to the hospital right now doing yeah. this there, corona dude, business because I, I didn't debarb a hook. There's no, there's no oh. fish that I need to catch that, like, I, I smash the barbs on all the flies. So 
let's take a break now. Let's talk about Walmart parking lot at Tyson's. Oh my God. That, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's why I debarked all my flies. That incident right there. Nicest Walmart um, you will ever find. Oh my Lord. Yeah, dude. Uh, so I was. This must've been like six years ago now. Yeah. Without like so, without giving this spot away, there's a there's a there's a grass carp that lives in. So it's it's one uh, of the TPFR guys' backyards. I dropped off flies, and I'm like, "You've got a pond back there. By chance, is this where Walter lives?" He's like, "Walter," and I explained. He's like, "How did you know that fish was in there?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, "Art." Yeah. So largest freshwater fish I've ever seen put eyes on her, fish to, lives in a pond in uh, northern Virginia. <laughs> Past tense. Yeah, right. Past tense? He said not- he hasn't seen it in a while. Oh, that's sad. In this fish, I, 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 don't, I don't know how long it is. You know, I, I don't know how long it is. It's... At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Maybe it's five feet long. Maybe, you know, maybe four and a half feet long. I, I, I don't know. It, it's, I've seen plenty of big musky. This dwarfs any big musky I've ever seen. And it's probably, I, I couldn't even tell you what it is in pounds, but I've looked at like the state record grass carp and this thing would eat the state record. And I've tried to catch it. I, I tried to catch it for years and I used to go like once a day for like three, you know, three years over the summer every day. And I try to catch this thing after work and I and I got it to eat multiple times and he broke me off multiple times and I got lots of follows and it's just in a really hard situation where you can't make a good cast and you got every problem you could ever imagine with with back cast issues and he sits in places that you know you can't reach him but regardless I I was going through all kinds of different fly options and buying a lot of flies and learning a lot about grass carp to try to catch this thing. I didn't pinch the barb of a, uh, this was like a float. It was actually like a floating or some kind of dragonfly larva fly that I was looking at that I bought and I didn't pinch the barb and it was actually pretty big. And I had the leader in my right hand and like all this slack that I was carrying around because I kept making these like casts at the fish and I was walking and the line, my fly line, like got caught on some kind of stick on the ground and it just pulled right into my hand and the barb like buried deep down in. Terry Cummings' son was with me, Colin, at the time. So if, 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 if Terry's grandpa, Shad, what do we call his kid? Like... I don't know. Grandson, Shad? <laughs> I don't know. Little, little peepaw shad yeah yeah exactly but he we, we had to like go to this walmart get some stuff and like i pushed it through the other side of my hand 
then oh it was nasty and we crimped the barb and got it out saved me the emergency room visit did you pour crimp, some tussin on it crimp your barbs some tussin <laughs> no break your leg pour some tussin on it yeah we have it in there real good down at the bone <laughs> Rock, huh? yeah, okay. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the head shape. So things like uh, drunken disorderly versus something with a cone head. Are you aiming for the action that a head would give the fly versus making it look more like something the fish is going to eat, or both? I like heads that'll push the water a little bit, you know. So that liches double D um, great bug. That's also kind of a uh, Midwest smallmouth jam. I like the swinging bee better, personally. Uh, both of those flies were meant to be fished on sinking lines. You know, one has a deer hair head on it, and no weight, and the other has a, what, like a popper, like a slider, foam slider head. Those are smallmouth flies. And, but they work great for trout. They're meant to be fished on sinking lines, number one. Number two, the heads, I think, are designed to push water and dive and move. They're, they're both like sort of diver uh, uh, style heads. I don't know that they add anything to the fly in, in terms of realism or anything like that, but damn, do they, they both work. They're both great great bugs they're basically they're, they're for all intents and purposes the same fly tied with different heads i think one has some rabbit on it and one doesn't but yeah i like what what, what was the question i i, I guess i head shape and how it makes the fish how about head shape and how it moves in the water versus what you want the fish to see like, do you want it to be moving water and you're going to design it to have some kind of wedge to it versus something that's just going to straight up just make a sink and you're not really interested? How do you work ahead into your streamers? Like, what do you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so. And I'm going to go uh, grab a beer. Hold on a second. You keep talking. Yeah, go ahead. So for me, for me, if I'm going to, I, I think this largely depends on what I'm using it for, obviously, but um, I want to fly to push push a lot of water, especially if I'm going to be fishing it on a sinking line, and especially if I'm going to be fishing it in conditions that uh, are less than favorable, like i.e. muddy water or, um, you know, extremely high currents or, or something to that, to that effect. Floating line, and, and usually, you know, usually that's a, that's a sinking line fly to me. Uh, or, or, or a fly that's going to get down really deep. So a good example, like if I'm trying to imitate a sculpin, I want a very big head on that fly because those sculpins are usually down pretty deep and their their body shape is, is you know, they have, they have really big heads that push a lot of water. Now, I'm going to give you a great example. I was fishing, a, was fishing a, a stream the other day that had some big fish in it that were really spooky. The water was gin clear. It was a cold, very cold limestoner, but the water was was gin clear. And we wanted something that wasn't going to a streamer that wasn't going to uh, soft landing. 
yeah, kind of a soft landing in a situation where we were working some fish that did not want to take a dry fly or a, or a dropper. So we were going to see if we can move one on a streamer. We, um, we went to a small, like really skinny, it was actually a saltwater pattern uh, called the Cohen Silverside, which is a very sneaky low water or spring creek for us special it's it's not it's a saltwater fly that's designed for whatever and i don't know if it's supposed to look like an anchovy or a whatever but it's um, a silver side yeah it looks like a Manidia, silver Manidia, atlantic silver side is that the is that the jam I believe that's but, the live name you know you can tie those things on freshwater hooks and fish them for trout and like spring creeks or limestoners and damn do they work they work great you know, so sometimes you want to mimic like a little, you know, you want a little bit of softer landing, a little bit less in, intrusive or obtrusive, one of those words. Um, are, you, are you doing deer hair right now? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm tapping my finger. That was my fault, sorry. Okay. <laughs> what else you got, Rob? Now, I want to talk about eyes. Now, mm -hmm. we talked about predators, you know, striking at the head that's where the eyes are you kill an organism and you hit the heads are you a do you do them for show do you do it for actual predatory instinct for the trout and are you a, what what eyes are you going to tie and, and for when like when would you use a dumbbell eye versus a stick on eye yeah i i think it's all for show i use the same i've been using the same dumbbell eye for a long time it is the uh, Spirit River. Dazzle Eye? Uh, Living Eye. Living Eye. Spirit River. Those tie in yeah. nicely, too. I know. Some, some Dumbbell Eyes just, I don't like the way they tie in. That's yeah. an easy one. The Spirit River ones have always tied in nicely for me. They always tie in nicely. They are, like, indestructible. You can bounce them off of concrete. They don't chip or break or peel or now they're expensive they're not they're not cheap bucks a bag maybe no they're more than that crikey eight dollars seven dollars for 15 i think yeah they're they're not they're not inexpensive but um, if you're going for that fish but a I big one them. like i i, I get it. i actually reuse them you cut them out yeah, like on clousers, yeah. you know? No, if I have a busted up look, the I, 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 I you cut them off out. the wall and, and, you know, your deer hair explodes and whatever. I mean, you know, you could just reuse them, cut them. And you could have them. used some of those uh, razor blades that were just all over the ground today at Chain Bridge where little kids are walking barefoot. Bunch of razor blades? Dude, what they that? were just razor blades on the ground. I don't know if people were cutting line. Who knows? There was a white perch with a circle hook through its nose just on shore and the fish was floppy this morning so you use stick on eyes when you don't use dumbbell eyes i mean that that's pretty that's pretty much it to me you, right? you don't need it to sink you stick them on now do you glue yeah. them do you use epoxy i glue them what's your glue I choice use, my glue choice is, and i have you know i've got loon and i've got uv flashlights and all of that jazz and that, you know my favorite is the zap gel for that purpose zap gel i am not i will tell you this i am not the best at gluing on eyes but that zap gel is very forgiving it takes a minute to dry 
you can kind of wiggle, you know, you stick them into place. Don't try not to use too much, but, but that's, I like the nozzle on it. I have always used the zap gel. You've seen it, right? It comes in like a little black metal tube. I have one somewhere. Little black metal tube. Yeah. That's always what I've, what I've used. I, I, I dig, I dig that one. And if Dave Whitlock is a huge fan of that product, I'm going to say it's pretty damn good. Is he? Is he the one? He loves yeah. Zap. You can buy Zap, Zap-A-Gap, all that product straight off his website. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that stuff. Um, that's funny. He, I, I use that a lot for the deer hair poppers and stuff that I tie. You mentioned the pinch method recently on uh, Instagram chat. What is the pinch method? Because Stephen Sautner, who is related to Namphos, also mentioned it, but we didn't get into a, a description. What's pinch. that pinch method? Oh, we're talking about in tying. Yeah. So the pinch technique is something that is great for for tying in a lot of different materials, and, and people don't they don't use it often enough. And and sometimes I see people trying to use it but not using it correctly. So basically, what what the pinch technique is is that you know you're with your thumb and your index finger, you're grabbing either side of a material, whatever it is. You're then placing that material on top of the hook and pinching both sides of the hook along with both sides of the material. And then what you do is you grab your thread and you put it up in between the two fingers. So then you have both sides of the material, both sides of the hook, and both sides of the thread in between your thumb and index finger. And then you pull the thread down on the opposite side of the hook and you repeat this, you know, two to three to four times. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to, because the, the thread is actually riding the inside of those two fingers as it crosses the, the hook, it allows you to place a wrap, uh, subsequent wraps all in the same place with varying, while varying the tension without the, the materials rolling on the hook or rolling on or around the hook and the uh, and bulking up by by putting too much very tight uh, thread wraps onto the exact same spot. Okay. I know that's kind of kind of long, but that's I think that's the textbook answer. When should somebody <laughs> burn their fly with a lighter? There, there's a couple times. One, I think that first and foremost is when you're you're making monofilament eyes, which I do often. So anytime I tie like a like a crab or a shrimp or sometimes even sometimes with crayfish patterns, um, sometimes like if I'm doing damsel, we all know about that, man. I seen you take lighters to like the head of a clouser, beer tie style. You always burning heads. What's the deal? Oh yeah, yeah. So so like if you're using um, if you crowd your eye and you can't finish it, as long as you're using like a a thick flat waxed thread, often you can burn. You know, once the fly is is finished, you can take the the lighter and and just slowly creep it towards the eye of the hook, and the uh, and the the materials or the like the wax thread will slowly start to curl back onto the fly, sort of sealing it. It's really it's kind of really hard to explain, but it's a it's something that you you can use if you're using the right thread. You can use it if you've accidentally crowded the crowded the eye of the hook so i've been using that i've been selling a lot of garflies you can buy those on my etsy site nice the garflies i've been using a lighter just to singe all the random pieces and then i can wrap over it yeah yeah 
yeah that's a that's that's good too any any tying materials i forgot to ask you tying techniques dubbing loops dubbing loops start tying dubbing loops and you need right? the opst dubbing twister you spin that i know your your thing was made in the 60s like yeah it probably have... has lead and asbestos in it <laughs> like the same yeah. people that made yours were the make manufacturers of lawn darts <laughs> you don't remember were you too, you're too young to remember lawn darts right i know what they are oh yeah my god look up yeah, yeah they used to be able to see pictures x-rays of kids with lawn darts in their heads oh that's horrifying product oh okay um but dubbing loops absolutely like that's a lost do people not is that a lost art people people are, are people terrified of dubbing loops? why it's intimidating why is it intimidating i don't know once you learn to do that and then you do a uh composite loop that that's fun I spent like three weeks learning how to do composite loops for steelhead flies. I don't even know what a composite loop is. What is that? It's where you lay it all down and you add first the dubbing and then you add what's like the long strands of flash and then you put another piece of dubbing over that and then you pick it all up and put that in the loop. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a dubbing loop, right? It's just like a little hot. You, you put extra stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking. I didn't know there was like a like a name for it. Yeah. Yeah, learn learn to tie dubbing loops. Learn to split your thread. You'll be amazed. It it makes certain things so much easier. It makes things quicker. It makes things cheaper. You, you know, you can you can you you can create a dubbing brush in seconds. You know, uh, with all sorts of different great materials to help. You know, bulk up a fly or or get like a, a more wispiness or more action out of your your fly. You can experiment with all these different great techniques that and or materials that you can stick in there. You can blend things right on the spot. Yeah, it's 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 good. Right. Dubbing dubbing loops. All right. What do you store your streamers in? Um, I have, I got multiple ones on the way too. Um, I use the Cliffs Bugger Beasts. I got two sitting in the, uh, kitchen or in the, underneath the tying desk right now. And I got three more on the way, brand new ones that, uh, will eventually get filled with stuff. Remember, I, you I might need to do a, everyone ties art a fly. It'd be <laughs> Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get all my flies back. They, like the only flies I own right now, fit in, or things that I've just tied recently, like fit, yeah, fit in a, uh, I like one bugger beast, one bugger barn, are all my streamers. Okay. So like probably like a half a bugger beast and one bugger barn have all my streamers in them, and then all the rest of the flies are in one foam, like one little foam slotted box. So I like I lost like just you know probably, oh thirty boxes worth of flies. And what is that person gonna do with them? Seriously, so, like yeah, I'm, I'm pissed. But you know, it's all right. It gives me an excuse to like tie things, right. you know. And so, mm -mm -mm. all right, dude. Uh, let's talk about your dip and wiggle. Mm. What is art's dip and wiggle? Yeah, yeah. So you know especially when you're casting sinking lines from an anchored position. So, you know, this is more, I don't really do this much for 
Well, I have done this for trout. Matter of fact, you know, it's funny. I did this for trout two days ago from the bank. A couple things. So one, it is basically you are, it's a stack mend. That's basically what it is. You're, you know, if you're presenting downstream, right and you don't have the room to cast behind you or maybe you're really new to fishing and you you can't cast a sinking line with a heavy fly very well you fish in deep water um, and you're trying to get the fly down and then strip it back up this is something that we use a lot when we're shad fishing or or uh or striper fishing from boats at fletcher's you'll just you'll throw you know, 15, as far as you can, basically, easily out in front of you. And then you have, like, all the rest of your fly line on the deck of the boat. You just sort of wiggle it out left, you know, uh, up and down or left and right to get the, I like to go up and down to get the fly line out off the deck of the boat. And basically the current pulls out the slack as the, the and the fly sinks faster because it's it's under slack. So you're, you're sinking, 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 then the current uh, straightens it out. When the current straightens it out, you, you pull it back upstream, um, and then you just rinse and repeat, and you're not really casting the fly um, overhead once it's, once it's in the water. You can just kind of dip the tip of the rod in, wiggle the slack out, strip it back in, rinse and repeat. Um, usually it's a boat thing. Actually, it was interesting. I was at the confluence of two streams a couple day a couple days ago and i couldn't there was a, a bridge behind us so i couldn't uh i couldn't cast behind me so there's a bridge we're getting closer to figuring out where you were fishing yeah <laughs> down there's trout and there's a bridge and so i was you know stack mending in that way from that one little spot i couldn't i had no space whatsoever behind me and like couldn't even make a roll cast. It was so it was so tight in there. So I just kind of like flicked it out and stack mended and just kind of dipped it in and wiggled all the line out. Let it took it downstream, stripped it back up, and just kept kept doing that. I dig the dip. The, I dig your dip and wiggle. <laughs> all right, let's talk about. We're gonna go through these a little fast. Uh, what favorite knot do you tie your streamers on with? The uh, non-slip mono loop. Okay. Every time. Uh, what about people that get exhausted from casting a big streamer? What, what's advice you'd give them besides uh, fishing a smaller streamer? They want to fish a big one, but they're getting tired. Dip and wiggle. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, no, you, you know, uh, if you're, if you're getting tired, turn around and throw it on your back cast. Yes. My client the right. other day, he threw some of the most ridiculous underhand backhanded casts I have ever seen not just from a normal client but uh, Dennis was throwing these crazy backhand casts and throwing it like I've never seen a client do it ever and he was launching these streamers just out for shad and stripers and it was nuts and Dennis if you're hearing this shout out to you for being one of the best casters I've ever seen nice. and he was just he was throwing it up towards the trees and then just backhanding it into the river 60 yeah. feet yeah. with That's accuracy good. yeah i was yeah. just sitting there with my arms crossed I'm like dude yeah it really it, it really changes you know the muscle groups i think that you're that you're using when you when you throw when you throw backhanded right um it, it's you know it's 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 slightly different so I, I yeah i mean if often when i start to get tired i'll immediately just you know present the other direction just present from a from a back cast 
Have you ever had to dive into the water to retrieve an expensive streamer? Dive into the water? Or just go in after it? Like the guys today with their dip nets, or uh, the cast nets. Have you ever just broken off or got one stuck and you're like, you know what? I'm doing everything to not lose that fly. I mean, I've done some things. I've rowed boats across rivers. I've waded in really deep. I've semi-climbed some trees, but I've never dove into the water, no. <laughs> but I also don't fish a lot of game changers, though. You know, if I paid, I paid 15 bucks for a fly, I might... I might you might put your uh, floaties on. Yeah, I might, I might go get that thing. <laughs> uh, what about setting the hook on a streamer that might be deep or far away that you just... Is it strip set? You want people to trout set? You want them to tarpon set? And how would you detect it? What's a tarpon set? Is that well, a... a strip strike? Well, yeah. I mean, like pump, pump, pump. Yeah, yeah. For the streamer, I almost, I almost always want a, a strip set. Yeah, there's very few exceptions to that, in, in my opinion. I definitely want to want a strip set, right? I want to hit him and then hit him again, right? Absolutely, absolutely, strip strike. Okay. But you know, and then get the get the rod up and get the rod bent. You know, um, I think one uh, one mistake that people make is they when they after they strip set, they're like pointing the rod at the fish, and they're letting the tip of the rod fight the fish, and not that that doesn't work. Did you 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 know uh, you can fight a fish pointing the rod directly at it. I've seen it done on purpose intentionally sometimes. Uh, you watch it in those, like, uh, some of those uh, permit or some of those uh, Trevally videos. Those guys are aiming the rod directly at the tip of the rod directly at the fish. Even huge trout. I mean, you know, get the get the rod bent, right? Get it, get sideways pressure on it and bend the rod down into the butt, the butt section of the rod, right? Don't, you know, don't aim it at the fish. Don't put it at 12 o'clock, but get it. Get its head turned towards the bank or toward the boat. Streamers, you ever fish them at night? And if so, what advice would you have for anglers? Totally. Uh, nighttime is a great time to fish streamers. Uh, one Probably one of the best times, nighttime and early morning. My advice would be be careful, right? You know, so if you have wind... Understand wind. Uh, uh, and this is during the day too, right? You know, if you have, if you're right-handed and the wind's on your right shoulder, put the tip of the rod on the left side of your body before you cast, and then that way the wind is blowing the loop away from you. Don't hook yourself. At nighttime, use flies that are bulky, that are going to move a lot of water, that are going to make a lot of disturbance when you when you strip them. You know, fish don't see as well in the dark. So we want we want to make a ruckus so that that um, they pick it up on their lateral lines to help to help find it. So rattles and things like that are great to have in your in your bugs at night. Flies for turbid water versus clear. We already mentioned having the soft landing. Anything yeah. you would throw if you're in some murky, nasty water? Yeah, black, big black, body flies. Black and purple, black, darker. You know, the darker that. The, the water, the darker the fly should be. Now, you know, some people use chartreuse. I'm sure that works too, and I, I don't know. But as soon as the water's muddy, I am going black, purple, black, red, 
um, black and dark green, dark brown, you know, these, these deep, dark colors, I think, are, are what shows up the best in dirty water. I know it almost doesn't make sense, but it's like a contrast thing for, for me. Yeah, Sunlight versus cloudy. You know, cloudy for sure. I mean, not that I haven't had great days. And I have had great streamer days in Bluebird Skies. Definitely have. But I, I do think that overcast, uh, overcast helps the streamer situation, especially the large streamer situation. I thought but, we were going to absolutely crush stripers this morning when it was overcast. The last two days, not a single striper. I've heard it's been slow up by Fletcher's. Better luck down at the title. We got Hickory Shad on Memorial Day weekend, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right, what about water temperature? Is it too hot to throw streamers? And then I know a cold fish would rather eat a streamer than a nymph because it's going to get more fat for the cold. But have you ever found fish too lethargic in hot water to chase something down? No, definitely not. We're talking trout. Indeed, the, um, the trouts. No, I, I. But then again, I don't. I don't know. No. In fact, some of the largest fish I have ever found have been on streamers in water that is places that you wouldn't that is warm enough that you wouldn't expect trout to be there. And those fish eat streamers and bait fish and things exclusively. We're talking fish that are, you know, well over 20 inches. So no, I think that that the reason trout are in warmer water because they have outgrown the bug game. Well, I mean, I, well, I guess there's two parts to that question. You, you might be just referring to the regular fish that the water just gets too hot. Maybe, yeah. I, I guess I could see that. They're not as willing to expose themselves because of the heat. I don't know. I, I don't really have an answer for that part of the question. We'll come back to that in a couple of yeah, months. I've never, I've never really thought that through. All right. What about approach? Are you going to be sneaky man on your hands and knees? Are you going to hide behind a tree when you're throwing something? Some big uh, action. You're going to not with the not- art incognito. I mean, it depends. You know, I, I usually say no yesterday or the other day. Uh, what were you I fishing again? Mike, I watched Mike. What's that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched Mike stealthily poke a streamer into into a suspect place, but into a sneaky little place. But usually, if I'm streamer fishing and I'm and I'm waiting and things like, that, I'm just I'm gripping. I'm kind of gripping and ripping, man. I'm I'm going through something quick and throwing up well enough ahead of me that you know i'm not walking over any fish and i'm just looking for a looking for a player you know somebody so no i'm 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 very stealthy when i dry fly fish and nymph uh but streamer fishing no so when would you strip versus swing versus dead drift so up if i am across stream if i'm across the stream and I'm throwing kind of down and across, um, there's always gonna be a little bit of a swinging element. If you need to make a cast upstream, so if you're fishing like a Spring Creek, for instance, and you don't have a lot of room, and you gotta make an upstream cast, you need to strip fast, always. Strip down and fast just to keep tension on the line and keep the fly moving. 
there is no wrong way, in my opinion, to fish a streamer. Upstream, downstream, up and across, swing. Vary your techniques and what you're doing. You will be surprised day to day what works and doesn't work. Okay. Now, people sometimes, this is kind of the end before we get to the random questions now. People refer to their streamer rod. What's a setup if someone's coming into the shop that they're like, I want to target some fish. I'm going to Arkansas. You're going to fish the White River. We're going to throw streamers. What I'll tell you what, let, me, let me hit the head real fast. Let's do that together. I'm going to yeah. race you. All right. Go. I'm done. Did I win? I beat you. You did beat me. Remember, nice. if you shake it more than three times, you're playing with it. <laughs> That's the dip and wiggle, right? <laughs> All right. So what's a good rig? If someone specifically wants a rod for throwing streamers, what's for a good trout. setup? For trout? Yeah. Um, a nine foot six or nine foot seven weight rod. I think, you know, I really like the seven for that, but you know, a six works fine too. You know, for me, it, uh, it would probably be a medium to fast action fly rod, uh, with a combination of lines with it right you know for the for the various conditions so like a like a seven weight and a 250 grain full sinking line is an awesome boat rod for streamer fishing uh, on most rivers a good wade fishing jam would be a uh, you know i'm not into these like streamer stripper lines by the way like like I'm not in the lines that like have two to six feet of sink tip. I don't know that that really does anything at all. Personally, I'm really not a not a fan of those. Or they do very little to get that fly down. Word up. So I like uh, kind of at least 15 feet, a 15 foot sink tip for wading or or a floating line. What about an addition of the poly leader? No, that's not what a poly leader is used for. And I don't think, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what a poly leader was designed for and what it does. A poly leader was designed as a, to put on the end of a Scandi head for spay fishing. It is largely a, something with mass that you know that tungsten coated leader is something with mass that'll help uh move the fly and transfer the energy from the um you know the larger the, the scandy head down to the down to the fly and has a sinking element to it but that's also that does like the exact same thing as the as the sink tip which isn't enough right like there's no i would almost just rather have the floating line right and a longer leader like if i'm wade fishing i just don't see that getting anything down on a on a larger streamer it's just not it's just not enough that to make it worth it to me all right ready for some random questions anything else about streamers that uh, uh that's a faq with the shop or experience anything that i didn't ask about so Learn to use the rod to move the streamer, not the fly line. So, like, when you strip, you should just be stripping your slack up, right? 
So like Twitch with the rod, use your wrist to move the streamer and then strip the slack with your fly line okay. or with your, your stripping hand. That gives the fly much more action. It's a much more realistic swim. I dig it. All right, you ready for the randoms? Yeah, yeah. Brittany or Christina? Uh, Christina, definitely. Armageddon or Deep Impact? Armageddon. GoBots or Transformers? Transformers. VHS or Betamax? Uh, VHS. Popeyes or KFC sandwich? Did you say sandwich or biscuit? Because we'll have a conversation. I don't eat biscuits out anymore. Okay. I, I've so been taught to make a proper Southern biscuit, and I can no longer eat. I've never, meat. I've never, I've never had a Popeyes sandwich, but if you just ask me KFC or Popeyes, I'm going Popeyes. Popeyes does have a better commercially made biscuit. Yeah. Right. But the okay. chicken. Yeah. If you were only allowed to fish for one type of species for the rest of your life, what would you choose? One species, rest of my life, I think it would be trout. Trout. Yeah. If you could be quarantined with anybody other than Bunny right now or Trent, who would it be? Hmm. Other than family members, I'd have to go with Tom Waits. Very cool. All right. What's the worst place you've ever fished that you would steer people away from? I know last time we did this, I said Elk Creek in PA because I was mad at it. That's okay. You just That was the only one. The worst place I've ever fished that I am trying to think of another, another bad one that I don't want to go to again. Simon Gosworth said Brittany, <laughs> France. Brittany. Oh, that's like a whole, a whole place. Yeah. A whole location. I've huh? always wanted to go there since the Bourdain episode when he went with Eric Repair. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, to be honest, and I was even kind of angry at an Elk Creek experience when we talked last time, but I don't know. I, I, I try to find the the silver lining, as Tim Linehan would say, in every every situation. I don't, I don't uh, I haven't really, like, hated anything that much. What are you scared of in life? Any animals, situations, things you try to avoid? I don't like spiders. For sure don't like spiders. All right, strangest thing you found while fishing round two? I'm going to oh. give you an example. Last yeah. week with a client, yeah. I see some monofilament in the water. You know what? I'm going to grab that monofilament and pull it out. There was a fish attached to it. It was a piece of monofilament with a white perch. And the mono went in the mouth, out the gills, and back around and was tied. So the fish was alive and swimming around in the water. Attached to monofilament, tied to a rock. Yeah, that was a that was a stringer, right? No, they were... I, I don't know. It was just one. Huh. And we're uh, all like, what is that? So I was fishing the tidal basin with T. Jones. That recent striper, man. I was getting some questions from other people. I said, go look at Instagram, man. That's the intake. So, dude, so that day, right? There's a whole funny story before the striper. That, that striper has a funny story behind it. Mr. Pajama Pants. So we were fishing stripers all day that day and some other places too. But right before that striper, the story behind that, that exact fish was 
you know, we can only fish that spot one at a time. So T Jones is in there and he pitches and he's got something on and I'll send you pictures of this. He, he catches a giant snail. Oh, the Japanese trapdoor snails. And it grabbed his clouser and completely engulfed his clouser minnow. And, and never and so, pick up a floating trapdoor snail because if they're dead, you can't get that smell off you. Just a heads up. So he pries this clouser out with a knife and it's mangled and it's got snail juice all over it. Uh, and then he throws it in. Uh, Hooks that striper. Really? That's exactly what happened. Ask oh, him. Snail juice. Snail. He, that was, and that was, and I posted that, and I called him the snail master. That was that fish did not count. That was a live bait situation, in my opinion. Once you've been marinating, once you marinate a clouser in snail juice, mm -hmm. that's like you are now bait fishing. <laughs> snail juice would be a great band name too. <laughs> but I have, picture, I have a grip and grin of Trent Jones fully legitimately in the mouth caught a snail. Uh, on a, so on a Andrew Zimmer ate those in an episode. He liked them. He was really? in Virginia Beach eating Japanese trapdoor snails. <laughs> yeah, if you see one floating, never pick it okay. up. Okay, next question. What is something that every fly angler needs to experience in their life? Hooking, sight fishing at Cobia. Really? That is something else, man. Those things are just, that is a lot of action in a very short amount of time. And that's a, that's a very exciting, exciting deal. Absolutely. If money is no option, you find a blank check that says Jeff Bezos on it. You get a vehicle and a boat to go with it. What are you getting? A vehicle and what a are you going to tow it with? And what are you towing? Man, wow! I don't know. Neither do I. I'm getting a a giant like military grade like jet that I can drive the vehicle onto and land that private jet anywhere I want. Um, for sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Can you do uh, any impersonations? Impersonations? Yeah. Oh man. Can you do Trent? No, no, I can't do, I can't do Trent. I can do Tommy Mattioli. Go for it. Hey, yo, uh, uh, I've got I'm going to tell you something, buddy. I've, I have sold flies for my, my whole life, and you sell so many clousers out of your shop that I'm surprised there's any deer left in North America. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I talk to him like every day. Okay. Yeah, I need to get him on an episode. I, uh, what's one thing you've lost while fishing that still angers you for having lost it? Uh, I lost a, I lost a nomad. I lost a net recently. Not, I mean, not too recently, but. And you called it by the original name, the nomad net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nomad net. And, I and when those first came out, I was like, I need that now. 
um, because like, I, I don't know, like I had like a sling pack and I like sort of had it jammed in between the sling pack and I thought it was linked, thought it was clipped on a D ring and it wasn't and disappeared. Super mad about that. If you could have a superhero's power to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Flight. Okay. If uh, you could fish with any celebrity that is an angler, who would you choose? Hmm. So last time I answered Mel Krieger, but not, oh, that's, no, no. A, that's an industry like a celebrity, yeah, like, like a musician a or artist, celebrity. not an industry person who is an angler. Yes. He may have seen on fly fishing the world back in the day, like Liam Neeson fishing golf ponds in Ireland. I don't know. I think it would be cool to, to fish with Henry Winkler. I, I'm reaching out to him to get him on here. I've not been able to hear back from him. Yeah, the Anyone are... has a connection to the Fonz, <laughs> y'all let me know. I got a private plane waiting for you at the airport. It's gassed up. It's full of every gear you could ever imagine. Where are we going? New Zealand. Okay. What's your last meal if you could plan it? All I can eat. Sushi. No. What's your fancy sushi called? It's, it's going to be, no, that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be oysters. It's going to be oysters, man. I mean, if it's if it's a whole meal, I get like a whole shellfish, you know. The seafood tower from the Anthony Bourdain episode of Britain yeah. France. That that's kind of the that's kind of what I'd be after, something like I that. I looked at that and was like, that's worth anaphylactic shock to eat that, maybe. Yeah. yeah. EpiPens, <laughs> I want to dig in. <laughs> Last question again: What's a story you had to be there to believe? A story you had had to have been there to believe. Something you've seen. I saw a squirrel swim across a river once. No one believed me. I, saw, I didn't know squirrels could swim. I don't know, man. When I caught that bull trout, that was pretty cool. Tell the bull trout story. It was on a streamer. Yeah, it was. So, you know, I'm, I'm fishing. Um, I'm fishing with this guy, Monty Muniz. Awesome dude. And up in, uh, in North, uh, Northwest Montana, like all the way as far north as you can go before you're in the Canadian Rockies. This is, uh, I'm doing, I'm on a hosted trip that I'm, I'm doing with um, Linehan Outfitting Company. And it's the last day of the trip. And we've caught, we had caught some big rainbows already um, on streamers. And it's the last day of the trip. There's the, this guy, Monty, takes me to this place and, and we're rowing down the river. And he's like, yeah, you know, like, I think there's a big bow in this in this hole here because all year all season long we've been like hooking you know smaller cutthroat and rainbows at the top of the riffle here on dry flies and you know as they as he dump as they dump down into the out of the riffle and into the pool you know they're getting eaten by something large and he says uh you know why don't you you know why don't you grab your streamer rod here and and see if you can move that fish and I may, and he tells me where to cast it. And he's like, yeah, you know, put it like right in front of that rock there and let it swing on in. And it's funny because I completely missed the cast. I picked it up and I had a, uh, what, a fly that resembled a cutthroat. It was actually a, uh, uh, one of Tommy Mattioli's half and halves that was tied in 
sort of a cutthroat regalia type of type of coloring. And it was saltwater fly I caught this thing on, which is funny. I missed the cast. Bad cast, wasn't even close, hit the water. The cast I made was maybe 20 feet at the most. Hit the water in the wrong spot, and I strip on it once to pick it back up to try to cast it to the right spot, and bam. Um, bam. The biggest bull trout they had ever. Of all time. Ever, yeah, that they had ever seen in 30 years, apparently, of, of guiding there. And, you know, we, we measured it and weighed it, and I don't even talk about how big it was because people just don't even – you couldn't – you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but but it's definitely the biggest bull trout you've ever – I've ever seen. You know, at the time, I don't even know at the time when I caught it, I'm not even sure that I saw a picture of one that was that large in like an inland trout that was that large. Like I had seen like pictures of, you know, Lake, uh, and anadromous fish and stuff that were that big, but never, never like a river born inside the continental U S you know, uh, trout species. That we'll was, use that as the head cover for this social media for this episode. You know, it, it was just, it was just nuts. You can't, you can't legally target those types of fish. Um, but if they bite, you, if, if it's yeah, them yeah, biting I, you. That's yeah. Funny. I mean, there's nothing you can, you can do. It's not like you're out there fishing for them. They're just, they're there and they eat the same thing that the, you know, you're, when you're fishing the Kootenai with streamers, you're after rainbow trout and those, that river has the state record rainbows in it. You know, I mean, that's like a big big fish territory and so yeah you can you know you can uh you can find some big bull trout there. there's also sturgeon in that river apparently weird yeah all right dude um so we'll see you fishing where was that spot again it was where in maryland mm, nah, not giving it up man all not right. giving it's somewhere it's somewhere out there all right so next one do you want to do nymphs or warm water fishing Largies and smallies versus nymphs. Oh, either one, man. Either one. All right, um, we'll flip a coin. I yeah. gotta go uh, do a social distant event in the neighborhood, so we'll catch up soon. Awesome, man. Art, thank you again for your time. All right, buddy. Take We're it done, easy. Dude. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. And it recorded this time, I hope. All right. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right, man. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.